Take a deep breath, take the higher road That's what they always say, as if they know the way They won't take it from me But don't ever doubt yourself, it's life ain't just a dream You make your own, so kick and scream The people will like with a never-ending force You never had the chance, so what you waiting for? The day has come, my friend, cause this is war Oh, we are going to get science today, everybody. Welcome to the show. Can't wait to dive in on the hot topic that I'm going to talk about today. And it is really surrounding a couple of sort of blockbuster studies that have come out recently, again, surrounding the uh, COVID jab and some what I think are official new discoveries, right? There has always been chatter. There have always been people raising questions, questions about how they work, how they were developed, how they were manufactured, obviously what potential long-term side effects there are, risk-benefit analysis, all of those very necessary questions and conversations that we have been bringing up. And when I say we, I mean the folks like myself, the people that have been you know, questioning things, maybe even people who received the vaccine and are now experiencing some health side effects or are seeing that in friends and family members. And certainly, when you have a situation that takes place like this, where something so, uh, I guess, monumental, if you will, sort of this whole global vaccination situation came about in such a short amount of time. And the fact that a lot of questions couldn't be answered prior to being mandated or told that we needed this or sort of, I don't know, manipulating, manipulated into thinking that the science was settled, right? Like all of these things. Now, a couple years later, the studies are starting to come out. The things are starting to sort of expose themselves and I wish I could say that I was surprised. I still want to be surprised sometimes. And it's not that I consider myself to be this sort of like Nostradamus or, oh, I, I knew that was going to happen. No, that's not it at all. I just, the questions that I ask myself and the things in my brain, I create a lot of, I guess, what if scenarios or, you know, well, we don't know officially about this component or this mechanism of action? What if in the long run, it does X, Y, and Z? I think like that. That is how my brain works. And it's not just about COVID and about the vaccine. And I mean, it's it's about all things, really. I do art on the side. And my brain does that when I start a new project. Like, oh my gosh, what if this happens? Will it result in this? But now what we are officially starting to see 
is relatively scary in my opinion. And what I think is also scary is that we're still going to run up against a significant percentage of the population that will dismiss this new type of research coming out. Again, so many hypocrisies that we've experienced and we continue to live through on the day-to-day, but the one that is always still so incredibly, I guess, strange to me is that people were so quick to, quote-unquote, trust the science when their television was telling them something, when you know, the CEO of their business was telling them something, people that have absolutely no association or business with actual research, health, you know, development of new things, right? But but people believed them then. But now I think we are going to run into this problem of a large percentage of those people who sort of bought into everything, participated wholeheartedly, wore the mask, social distance, hugged their grandma through a shower curtain in the front yard, went ahead and got the full dose of vaccines, maybe still getting boosted. They trusted that science. And now we have actual new data tests, studies coming out, and they will not believe that. I think that that is the large umbrella of cognitive dissonance that we're still seeing. And there are sort of two studies that I want to look at today and just kind of talk about, and I'm going to link them in the show notes. So if you want to read, both these articles are written by the same person. And then I will link the studies there also so that if you really want to deep dive and look at the actual studies, you can do that as well. But the first one I want to talk about is this study out of Italy. And I always think it's interesting when you look at where the studies were conducted, because if we can think back to when COVID started, Italy seemed to be this sort of hotbed, right? We were seeing a lot of statistics, a lot of information, you know, I although now I think that they were like stock photos being used, of course, but we were you know, if you were watching the news, you were being taken inside Italy's COVID wards and their hospitals. And so I'm always really interested when you look as an outsider at what appeared to be a very sort of intense situation over there. I think they were, it was a country that had a lot of attention on it for COVID, whether that be lockdowns, restrictions, deaths, illness, all of those things. I I vividly remember Italy being in the chat a lot, right? So now we have some scientists out of Italy looking at post-vaccine stuff. There's a lot of stuff to be looked at. And this new study is looking at basically some hypotheses about what happens in our body after we're vaccinated with this RNA technology and this spike protein. And what this study found is that half of vaccinated people 
through the duration of this study or what the time frame that they looked at, they never stopped producing the spike protein. Now, this study takes a very small sample size. So again, for all of the people that are going to, you know, pick this apart with a fine tooth comb and try to discredit it and try to, you know, um, really dismember this, this study, I think it's important that we take a step back. And anytime that you do a study, these are simply the questions that you're trying to get answered. What we didn't see back through the pandemic was a proper sort of scientific process, right? You ask the question and then you try to figure out, you know, what that is. You don't necessarily like reverse engineer it. You don't look at like, you know, the the blood splatter on the wall and then try to, to you know, necessarily recreate that. Like it tells its own story. And so we need to be able to take a step back and look at these studies, even if they're done on a very small sample size. And, you know, even if they maybe pinpoint one thing, okay, can we build on that one thing? And this is a good study, I think, for that. So what they looked at was sample sizes of a few different patient populations. So they took 40 people. And again, I said these were small sample sizes, but it's a sample size nonetheless, right? And they looked at vaccinated versus non-vaccinated. And then they also threw in a group that tested positive for COVID. Because again, here's one thing that I have wholeheartedly felt from the beginning of all of this nonsense, whether it be just COVID as the virus, and then you have the mRNA vaccine, this whole talk of the spike protein. I myself, I'm well, I'll even admit that I'm still a skeptic in general. I'm a skeptic in general of whether or not there is an actual virus going around. I have my own theories about, you know, terrain theory, germ theory, virology, all of those things. I am not convinced. I'm not convinced that we have something that we're passing along to one another, right? I think that our bodies break down. We get out of homeostasis. We have cellular breakdown. We have shedding of, you know, our body's natural way of getting rid of those things that are breaking down in our bodies, whether that be cough, runny nose, um, watery eyes, all of those types of natural body detox things. So being a skeptic already about the quote unquote virus in and of itself, and then hearing about this spike protein, right? And then the spike protein in the vaccine. I wholeheartedly, I'll give credit to the virus right now. I'll say, okay, for, for the topic of this conversation, I'll say, yes, there's a virus floating around out there that has a spike protein or that you can somehow make antibodies to in your body. Okay, fine. I'll give people that. I one gazillion percent do not believe that the spike proteins are the same. And I think what the media did, and I think what the sort of 
mind bending and the fear tactics were was to use this term over and over and over spike protein spike protein spike protein to have people feel like okay this is this little you know thing that's going to attack me right it's a part of this virus and i'm going to have it in my body and well oh now i've just i've got this spike protein like i've got long covid i've i've got this thing like circulating in my body now i think that the reason that they did that was because they knew that the spike protein in the vaccine, number one, it's not the same. And number two, it being in the model of an RNA virus has the potential to cause your body to replicate that piece of the virus or the vaccine, that one particular little spike protein. Now, when we talk about vaccines in general, right, we usually take a little piece of that virus to stimulate an immune response. And that's the whole idea about it. You expose your body to it so that your body can go and say, oh, I'm going to make some protective antibodies against this so that if ever I am exposed to it again, my body recognizes it. I know what to do. I'm going to fight it off. And that is, quote unquote, contributing to my health, right? That's very, very like elementary overview of a vaccine and its purpose and how it, you know, like works in our bodies to be a protective measure. The other theory is, is that with vaccines is that they stay in the location in which they are injected. So if you get them in your arms or when little babies, we give them in their legs, that it stays concentrated in that area and our body sends out the cells to that region, not vice versa. The the vaccine and the ingredients don't, you know, head on out and disperse throughout our body and then create this whole systemic reaction. Although... I, again, have my own thoughts about all of this because we know that there are adjuvants in regular childhood vaccines that can, um, you know, potentially cross the blood-brain barrier, things of that nature. So when we talk about the SARS-CoV-2, the COVID-19, again, I'll use the term vaccine loosely. It's gene therapy. It's experimental. We're talking about this spike protein, which the idea of that is, is that this is the little danger guy on the virus that our body needs to be able to recognize and fight off. Now, the interesting thing about this is, is that when I was still working at the hospital, and I may have shared this on a show previously, I'm not sure, but I read the little eight and a half by 11 sheet that they were giving out to people as sort of the educational form, if you will, about, oh, what is the, what's, what's COVID-19 and what is the vaccine and safety, da, 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 da. It's just basically the like form that they have to give you to say, oh, well, you were given informed consent. We educated you about it. The interesting thing is that on that form, at the bottom of the form, it says, There is no SARS-CoV-2 in this vaccine. So that tells me right there that 
it's a synthetic version or it's a manipulated version or it's not the same type as we would get walking around or, you know, passing it to one another, right? They haven't taken that exact same either genome sequence or whatever it is and put that in the vaccine because they said there was none in there, which obviously I was never going to get it anyways, but that's just like, that to me is that somebody should have read that and been like, well, what's my body making um, a response to if there's none of this in the vaccine? That's like saying, oh, well, I'm going to go and get my chicken pox vaccine. Okay, well, there's no, you know, varicella in here, whether it's live, live attenuated, there's, n- there's nothing in there related to the chicken pox. So how is my body going to make an immune response to the chicken pox. If there's nothing in there, what, what am I really getting exposed to? How's my body going to do that? Like a big red flag for me. I wish it would have been more of a red flag for a lot of people, but I guess it wasn't. So back to this particular study. Again, 40 people. So 20 were fully vaccinated with the full cycle of mRNA vaccines as of like April of 2022. And then they took another 20 people that were unvaccinated and they swabbed them to make sure that they were negative um, for COVID at that time. And they also drew titers to see if they had any antibodies and they didn't. So they were basically like a clean slate for COVID where these other folks were fully vaccinated. And then they took another 20 group of people that were also unvaccinated, but were positive for COVID-19. So you now look at like, okay, unvaccinated, no immunity, no exposure, no nothing. You have unvaccinated, tested positive. So you're going to infer that there might be some natural immunity. And then you have 20 people fully vaccinated. You're going to assume uh, vaccine-acquired immunity, right? So the interesting thing is that only the people in the vaccinated subgroup, so those 20 fully vaccinated all up to date, they were, of course, the only ones found to carry vaccine-derived spike protein, which makes sense, right? If you haven't been vaccinated, you don't have vaccine-derived spike protein. However, the spike protein was found in these people as late as six months after the last dose. So let's think about this for a second, right? We have cellular turnover, we have excretion methods, we have all of these things that happen in our bodies. And these people were tested six months after. Now, the other thing to keep in mind is that this study is not implying that it stops after six months. What this study is looking at is, okay, we checked these people six months after. Maybe they'll come back and take those same 20 people and check them another six months later. So a year after their last dose to see if there was still spike protein present. 
This they chose the six month date. So that is the duration in which this particular study is looking at, right? So this spike protein was completely independent of the SARS-CoV-2 IgG antibody titer. So it's different things. It's literally saying this is just the spike protein from the virus, right? Now, what is sort of interesting and what a lot of people were raising their hands about and questioning and nobody could give us an answer and yet we still participated in this to a massive degree is we know that RNA is sort of like the backdoor coding to your DNA, right? It's the behind the scenes guy. The DNA is like out there running the show, like, hey, I'm your DNA, da, 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 da. And then the RNA is sort of like the stagehand, making sure that the lighting is good and that the backdrops are all set and laying the foundation and all of the groundwork for then what is present within the DNA. So we're getting ourselves into a situation that there is a likelihood that this spike protein, by its mechanism of action in this RNA type, you know, vaccine delivery system, is that it looks as though it is possible that this might be integrating or retranscribing in certain cells as reverse transcription, which is RNA, and potentially becoming a part of the human DNA. So we're basically becoming little spike protein factories. And if this is taking place at six months after vaccination, is it also taking place a year after, two years after? How long? And remember, this study said that half of the vaccinated people. So if we took 20 vaccinated people, 10 people were demonstrating this. So another Another something to sort of explore. What is it about the 10 who demonstrated it? What is it about the 10 that didn't? I have my own theories pertaining to lot numbers. I have my theories pertaining to, uh, you know, geographical locations where these vaccines were delivered. Are there other ingredients in these vaccines that depending on how they interact with a human who is unique, whose everything is by proper design and, you know, created uniquely. Is there something else that is maybe working in conjunction to either protect them for the spike protein or make them more susceptible to producing that spike protein? I don't know. That's above my degree. That's above my pay grade. That's above you know, my scientific knowledge and all of that. But it has me really curious. It has me wondering if these thoughts are in anyone else's head. Because we know there are other components of those vaccines. It's not just like 
you know, a syringe full of saline and spike protein. There are other things in them. So what's the overall sort of concoction doing in our bodies? And is it affecting certain people in certain ways and others not? I don't know. Lots of questions rolling around in this plate of spaghetti in my head, per usual. A lot more to discuss about this particular article. I'm going to come back and sort of pull out some of the kind of big, big highlights that we can chew on. But before we do that, I'm going to take a quick little break. We're going to hear from our incredible sponsors, and then we'll come back and we'll dive in. So I am Nurse Beth. You are listening to Nurses Out Loud here on America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's time and For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system becomes less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix Rx. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus-hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. AmericaOutloud.news, delivering a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. Join us in the fight for liberty and justice for all. America Out Loud Talk Radio. The pandemic may be over for some. But millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of toxic spike protein, 
from COVID-19 and the vaccines. You've heard Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company discuss the harmful effects of spike protein in your body. And now they found the solution, the miracle enzyme natokinase. Their spike support formula contains natokinase, the most compelling and scientifically supported approach to safely clear spike protein out of the body. What's more, spike support is optimized with other all-natural, non-GMO ingredients, like dandelion root, to help prevent spike protein from binding to your cells. Everyone should take daily spike support so you can feel your best. America Out Loud listeners can go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Welcome back. Let's dive on in. Second half of the show. If you're just joining us, welcome. Happy to have you. We are looking at a couple of studies today. We're getting sciency on it. And looking at a couple of studies that have come out recently, again, related to the COVID jab and things that I think are worth putting our eyes on, putting our ears on, sort of mulling over in our heads, maybe some additional questions or some hypotheses that who knows, maybe they will come to fruition or people will look at later on in the future. But the one that we're, that I've been talking about in the first half of the show is a new study coming out of Italy that basically is looking at, it took a very small sample size, uh, but out of those sample size of vaccinated people, half of those people in the time frame of the study never stopped producing the spike protein. So what this study is kind of demonstrating is that these vaccines are going into our bodies. They're number one, they're not staying localized because we've also seen studies and slides and examinations of autopsies where we have organs that are just full of spike protein. And again, so maybe maybe this is where I should should go with this is that maybe it's not just that the spike protein doesn't stay where it's supposed to. Maybe it disseminates, but also maybe by its mechanism of action as being demonstrated in this study, whatever replication methods are taking place, it potentially is taking place in multiple different ways within our body and therefore you're getting spike protein all throughout the body in different organs. So one thing that is an interesting correlation that they looked at in this study is HIV. So HIV supposedly is the virus that causes AIDS. I say supposedly because you guys have to know that I've got a lot of questions around that a lot of questions, right? Technically, we don't call somebody or diagnose somebody with AIDS until technically their T-cell count is below, I believe it's 300. So that's what the classification is, right? And supposedly the precursor for that is HIV um, and how the HIV works in our bodies. And then it causes chronic immune suppression and it kills your T-cells. And then once those T-cells drop, okay, you've now transitioned over and now you have the AIDS um, diagnosis. So what we know about HIV is that it is also an RNA virus. And that is why it is incredibly hard to 
well, it's hard to treat, although you you really just suppress it, right? It's all just about suppression. Um, no real cure, right? You can be at, um, you know, you can have like zero levels of the virus, but you technically would always have the virus in you. But it is an RNA virus, which means that it gets in there and then your body replicates the virus. You become sort of this HIV factory within yourself. So this is looking at some real similarities between that type of virus, HIV, that we know and that we've been familiar with since really sort of the 80s, where it kind of came on full steam ahead, another Fauci, um, you know, project, if you will. And similarly, you have human cells with COVID vaccine genetic code reverse transcribed into them producing like endless amounts of spike protein. So working very, very similarly. So what does that, like, what does all of that mean? Like, are we, can this be suppressed? There's now a lot of things coming out about how we not only boost our immune system, but how we could potentially suppress that reproduction of the spike protein, which I think is great news. Just like when we had the HIV massive epidemics happening and, you know, I'm sure that the hospitals in some way felt the exact same. It was unknown. It was scary. We didn't know how it was transmitted. We didn't know what was happening with these people. All we knew is we had this virus. Sounds very familiar. Like if you look at them side by side, HIV and COVID and all of the things surrounding them and even the people surrounding them, those behind the scenes folks, very, very similar, eerie parallels, if you will. So what we've now learned through the course of medication development and of course, ongoing studies is we have learned about virus suppression with HIV. And now what we are learning about through, again, ongoing studies, watching signs and symptoms, looking at people, studies like this, okay, can we get to a combination of things that will suppress that spike protein? We're kind of moving in that direction, which I think is fantastic. So there are varying degrees to which I think people are having side effects from these vaccines also, right? Like we're seeing um, what I think, I, I just have to use some deductive reasoning here. And we're having obviously the cardiomyopathy situation, which now we have like something over 800 studies that have that have linked cardiomyopathy post-vaccination, especially in adolescent males. So we have that, which then we have a lot of people, quote unquote, dying suddenly. And I'm not so far off base to not be able to put those two together, right? If we have cardiomyopathy, that's typically a precursor to future cardiac events. So people that are dropping dead of heart attacks, they could very well have had 
and undiagnosed cardiomyopathy, right? We only know about it because somebody had enough signs and symptoms to go to the doctor and get diagnosed with it. There could be plenty of people with cardiomyopathy that don't develop symptoms big enough to go to the hospital or they ignore it or what have you. And then you have a a major cardiac event. So we have those types of things happening. We've seen people with neurological issues, the tremors, the inability to walk, um, strokes. We clearly know about the blood clots because those came out while these vaccines were still being administered. And those can lead to obviously, you know, pulmonary embolism, uh, other major events. And then we also just have seen uh, immune responses, right? Like people's immunities seem to be in the absolute toilet, in the absolute toilet after this. I've never heard so many moms, and again, I don't know if they vaccinated their kids for COVID. I would think a lot of them did, but I've never heard so many moms talk about their kids being sick during the summer. It's like, what is what in the world? Kids don't get sick during the summer. They're out of school. They're not underneath the, the glare of the poisonous fluorescent bulbs sitting in their, you know, cinder block cells all day. They're hopefully getting outside, getting some sunshine, getting some vitamin D. So we're a high vitamin D season. We're hopefully not eating like school food or cafeteria food. Like maybe we're getting some better nutrition in us because we're at home more, things of that nature. We're probably exercising. Maybe we're swimming or out riding our bikes or we're playing summer sports, right? It's, It's like optimal season, for kids. It's not sick season. We get sick season when everybody goes out and gets their annual flu shots and then they shed all over everybody. And then we put the kids back into their, you know, five by nine cells and force them to sit still for eight hours a day. No fresh air, bad food. They're tired. They go to school way too long. They have extracurriculars, right? So something has happened And I think that this is, again, only one small piece of the pie, air, water, food, all of those are the other slices of the pie amongst, you know, many others. But something has happened to people's immune systems. Seeing people getting shingles, that's everywhere. Ask around, ask around in your circle of friends if people you know have had shingles. This study also kind of looks like, or it looks at, could this kind of chronic and constant replication of this spike protein be a cause for people having repeat infections, slow virus clearance, I think we're also seeing a really big uptick in mono. I've talked to a lot of people whose kiddos have mono. So it's very, very interesting to look at the potential cascade of effects that this vaccine is causing. And how long this could potentially 
you know, be going on. This might be a lifelong thing. And what if it is a lifelong thing? What if, you know, what if this RNA does encode itself into our DNA? What if we're passing this along? What if these genetic things are now onto our kids? That's wild to me. That's wild to think about. I mean, that's, that's really crazy. Like putting something into your body that has altered the fabric of your makeup. And is that potential, you know, cause for, you know, could you damage potential future offspring for that? I don't know. Only time will tell. I also think, well, one thing that we do know is that I've seen some literature come out lately that they have taken some males and they have found dozens of men who are literally no longer producing sperm. They are just producing spike protein. So there is no more sperm. You're just making spike protein. So those men potentially can't even reproduce. There is no, no sperm to be found post-vaccination. I have not seen any studies about um, specifically focusing on ovaries or um you know, eggs or production or anything like that. And probably because, well, I can't say probably because, but one thing I think of is that, you know, male sperm is so high turnover. It's easy to grab a sample, right? It's easy to look at that. Whereas maybe it's a little bit more challenging to, to look at a female and the, and the cycle and things of that nature. But this is, something that everybody needs to, you know, really start examining and start, start thinking about. Is this vaccine mRNA becoming part of the human DNA genome in certain cells? And was this just dismissed? I think it was dismissed. I mean, I already understood the the HIV thing and how it works and being like, well, it's an RNA virus. Like, and now they make it sound fancy. Like this is some newfangled technology that is somehow going to be the be all end all fix all. Um, no. 
I should also just bring to light, and this is an absolute, well, it's not a total squirrel um, moment. It's still on the same path. I just maybe am like taking a little veer over here. They just put an mRNA RSV vaccine on the childhood schedule. Are we paying attention and are we learning our lessons? What is in that RSV vaccine? And again, mRNA. What is our body going to reproduce? What are we going to replicate? What is going to be a potential forever in our body that they want us to give our babies? We should be asking an infinite amount of questions. And none of those answers, I would hope, are going to change your mind. Like, when I have conversations about vaccines, and even if it's with a physician or somebody who is on the complete opposite end, I am happy to have a dialogue. I am open to have a dialogue. There isn't anything that you are going to say to me that is going to change my mind. Primarily because my son is an absolute specimen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't mean to brag, but he's never sick. He's 13. He's six foot one. He's intelligent. He doesn't have any of these common things that kids do. Asthma, eczema, IBS, blah, 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 blah. Nothing. No ADHD. No nada. Right? This is a specimen. So he hasn't been fit. You know, if he, if he got the chicken pox tomorrow... There is still nothing that anyone could say that would make me go back and do something different or or look at that differently. I'm happy to have the dialogue with you, though. Happy to. And chances are having that dialogue, there isn't anything that you could present to me that would be uh, maybe even something that I haven't read. Not saying that I've read everything, but I've read a lot. I've read a lot. So when we're talking about doing this again, we're just now learning. We're just now learning about the potential harmful long-term effects of this mRNA COVID vaccine. And now we want to do it again. We want to use this quote unquote same technology and inject our babies with it for RSV. Whoa, pump the brakes. Which on that topic of the children's, it brings me to the sort of second study that I want to kind of just touch on briefly. And it's going to be short here because I've talked too long as usual for what I want to get to on this show. But there is, there is talk. Okay, so we've talked about HIV. We've talked about AIDS. And there is a word or a term that has come up, again, I think for maybe people that haven't ever heard it before, but it's VADES. And it's vaccine acquired immunodeficiency syndrome. So something in that vaccine suppresses your immune system so terribly that you literally have no ability to fight off anything. AIDS acquired. So it was acquired from 
HIV, right? You got there via this other virus. VADES is vaccine acquired. So something in there is triggering just the absolute decimation of our immune systems. And this study looks at kids, looks at vac vaccinating our kids. It alters specific responses in their little immune systems and, you know, alters a cytokine response. Um, and this is, you know, an immunological effect of the COVID-19 vaccine. What does this do long-term? It was specific one month after vaccination that they saw this, but does that, you know, does that, what, what does that mean? Again, does it mean that, that it gets better after that one month time or that it's only for this one particular short amount of time? Uh, who knows? Again, all of these unknowns that nobody thought would be important to talk about a year ago, a year and a half ago, when we just marched our kids down and just lined them up for something. And it's really, really scary. It's really scary. So what we can, you know, hopefully do, and I say hopefully, because it's going to take a lot of people to be incredibly open-minded and examine this you know, okay, I did this, I made this, um, I made this decision for myself. I made this decision for my children. And now how do I sort of swallow that jagged little pill and acknowledge that this, I was maybe undereducated or I wanted to go on that family cruise that we had planned, or I really thought this was the right thing to do, or I trusted my doctor, whatever the reason, whatever the rationale, we got to get past that. We now have to start looking at what we can do to sort of minimize any risks of this long-term and to you know, start playing this game like, I don't, you know, like I mentioned this first study, right? Half of those people never stopped producing spike protein. How are you going to know? Let's say I decided to get vaccinated. Let's say I vaccinated my son. So, you know, per, per this study, if statistically right, one of us is never going to stop producing spike protein, or we are demonstrating that we're producing it for a significant amount of time after vaccination, how are we going to know that? Are they going to start testing for that? Are you going to be able to run down to LabQuest or head on over to some, you know, uh, whatever LabCourse and NorQuest and say, oh, am I still making spike protein? I doubt it. I think what we're probably going to have to do is start treating ourselves like I'm one of those people. I'm going to treat myself like I'm the maker of it. 
if I had gotten my son vaccinated, I would treat him like he got it also. That's a challenge. That is an introspective challenge that I don't know a lot of people are going to be able to do, especially because I would say that there are still a number of people, a significant number of people that didn't have any adverse events after getting vaccinated. Or if they did, maybe they brushed them off. Maybe they felt like, you know, garbage for a couple of days. I'm lethargic, but oh, this also happens with my flu shot. So I'm just going to get over it. Or it means it's working. I feel like garbage. It means it's working. Okay. So there's a huge number of those people that think I'm good. I'm fine. Nothing's happening to me. Nothing's going on in my body because I didn't experience this, that, or the other thing. I, I don't, I don't know what that kind of ignorance is bliss mentality must feel like. I don't know. I live as though all these people that got it are actually shedding. And now I maybe run the risk of having spike protein in my body because, well, you know, that's, that's a high probability. So there is good news. There are things coming out and you just have to pay attention. You just have to be open and aware and you have to want to read and you have to want to pay attention. <laughs> but there are protocols coming out. There are supplements. There are very specific things that are being talked about and that are being tested and that are being demonstrated to be beneficial. That's the biggest thing. It's not just, you know, this hocus pocus, you know, people want to call it quack job medicine. No, they're doing the due diligence. They're doing the studies. They are looking at what we can do to, again, drive that down, to detox, to reverse it, whatever that is going to potentially look like in the long run. So be open to that. If you vaccinated your child, I encourage you to do the same thing for your child. Start treating their little bodies as if they are somebody who is now continually making that spike protein and offer their little immune system as much support and as much help as you can. It's going to be critically important to their existence, to their future, even if they haven't demonstrated any signs and symptoms or anything. We don't want our little kids walking around with babes, right? We don't want their little immune systems just blasted, whether it be a one-time blast or a continual blast by this vaccine and by the replication of this spike protein. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, I'm going to link these articles. I'm going to link these studies. So if you want to nerd out like I do and print them off and read them and highlight them and put them in your big three ring notebook of COVID stuff. Like I know you have, cause you're like me and it's fun. Do it, go print them off, educate yourself, arm yourself with knowledge and tell your friends and family and do it with love. Cause that's what we got to do. We got to now take care and kind of wrap our arms around everybody. So with that being said, that's all the time I have for today. But remember we are here on the air five days a week, 
Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern with a different nurse host daily. Please be sure to tune in and listen to myself and my amazing sister nurses. As we walk you through all of these hot topics, we will empower you with information and education. We will advocate and we will stand in the gap for you because we are nurses and this is what we do. I'm your host, Nurse Beth, and you can find me here every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern with an encore at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Be sure to make AmericaOutloud.com your daily stop for all the latest news and happenings. We all must do our part and share the stories, the articles, the podcasts, and videos so we can help secure America's future. Until next time, be safe, be well, and God bless. Join us weekdays with a different nurse host daily, where no topic is off limits as we shine our lights and expose the darkness. It's time and this is-